Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The following is a presentation of the Four Center podcast feed. From the center of the galaxy, this is the Four Center podcast feed. I'm Ken Napsack. I'm Joseph Scrimshaw. And this is episode 218. We are going to dive into the Boonty Eve classic, as we're calling this one now. This is Talking About Pod Racing. 
Everyone loves a good now this is pod racing pawn or joke, but this time, Joseph, it actually means what we want it to mean. <laughs> yeah, it's not an allusion to anything else. We're going to talk about pod racing, and, and we mean it, damn it. We mean it indeed. We're going to get to that in a bit. But we always like to remind you that today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash force center. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. As always, a little bit later, we'll have our force center recommends an audiobook we think you should try out on us. Joseph, uh, I wish Chris Taylor would write a behind-the-scenes book on you and I having to record these episodes remotely lately. <laughs> Uh, to those who enjoyed the Clone Wars yesterday, uh, we appreciate you uh, listening to the Clone Wars report and, uh, you know, uh, the five hours it took to get that thing working, it, it's behind us now, Joseph. Yeah, I mean, we, we record relatively long episodes, so it's saying a lot when the upload process takes longer than the recording process. <laughs> you know, it's just, I've learned, we've all learned during this quarantine, when everyone's home watching Netflix and podcasting and streaming it creates quite a strain but we are happy to be doing these shows for all of you out there and uh joseph have you had the, had the chance to have any star wars or life adventures in the last week uh kind of not not a ton it's really fun to talk about our star wars adventures our life adventures i literally did not physically leave uh the house in in a week uh so i have not except for the little balcony which i'm very lucky to have uh i have not been outside so my life adventure has been you know watching birds um working and all that stuff but i did have a, a couple little star wars adventures uh, it finally happened. The thing that uh, I have feared is that uh, when my wife, working at home as well, had a video call, uh, just totally forgotten, just walked right behind her into the kitchen uh, at a time that I wasn't supposed to. I uh, had my phasma pants on. So I think some people from Sarah's work maybe saw my Captain Phasma <laughs> pajama pants. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. Just, yeah. Hair wild, just, you know, finish breakfast thinking about getting to work nope uh yeah and i tweeted about that and it was it was really fun two at least two maybe three wonderful listeners of force center tweeted back of like yeah in today's star wars adventures oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, they know us well that's, yeah that's so prophecy cool. fulfilled um <laughs> only other thing is i i just finally i i've uh i've been waiting for it forever but there's been the shipping slowdown i finally got the uh, art of star wars rise of skywalker and Ooh. managed to flip through it just a little bit it's so beautiful and i can't wait to dig into that yeah you know, so i have that too uh we won't do a big dive yet um i have an interesting time because i love those books i just absolutely love every one of those books the rise of skywalker one i had an interesting reaction to i want to know if you had the same thing because everything in that movie uh, we already all the main characters were established and all this kind of stuff there wasn't to me uh, as many there's some wonderful revelations but you know that force awakens one where you're like oh wow uh kira could have been ray and they all could have been a wookie you know like, like <laughs> yeah so it was kind of like oh yeah it's everything kind of went as expected just some different possibilities that existed so anyways but the books are beautiful yeah, yeah, and I, I haven't uh, dived deep into the other ones. This is the first one uh, I've got, and just flipping through it, it it feels like this great choose-your-own-adventure where, like, oh, that would have been a great uh, jacket for Finn, but the one they went with I like, too. <laughs> yep, yep, all in the wardrobes. That's awesome. That's awesome. So those are good. Those are good Star Wars and life adventures, I feel. I feel like counts. Yeah, how about, how about you? You uh, you had a birthday. That's a life adventure. 
I did have a birthday, birthday in lockdown. And you know what? It's, it was not unlike some birthdays I've had in the past. We're just like, ah, we're not celebrating much this year. But all, all credit to Grace, uh, my girlfriend. She um, really did a great job of uh, Saturday night. We had a very low-key party. Her sister and brother did come over. We were responsibly distanced as best we could. Um, uh, but we, we, we uh, Grace brought Star Wars balloons. I Darth Vader and Yoda balloons are still in my house now. <laughs> this was an interesting choice. On the, the, the they're black balloons with white Star Wars um, written on it and the Star Wars font and everything. And there's a Vader. Got it. Great. We flipped it around and Yoda's on that one too. What kind of birthday pairing? Because it says happy <laughs> birthday on the, on the balloons. What kind of birthday pairing is Yoda and Darth Vader? Yeah, that is a weird one. Like, if you're just going to invite two Star Wars characters to your party, like, that's going to be an awkward party. Just, yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, but it was great. Um, and we, you know, we had a smokehouse dinner. We ordered uh, ordered in. They delivered a nice meal and and uh, just hung out. So, uh, and and because we just had, uh, we, you know, we have a fortune to have a fire pit in our backyard and everything, so we get some fresh air and everything. But uh, we, we played New Hope at the beginning of the dinner. We weren't really watching it, but we ended up, all three original trilogy, trilogy movies uh, played and ended by the time our little celebration ended. So it was, it was uh, our, 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 my birthday ran the length of the galactic civil war. <laughs> wow. That was a, that was an epic one. You, your birthday uh, went from Luke uh, uh, feeling attracted to Leia to uh, a revelation. <laughs> to a big change. So that's a, uh, that's a, uh, it was a great birthday. Thanks to anyone who uh, tweeted out well wishes and, uh, and all those kind of things. Appreciate it. Uh, it's uh, it's another year around the sun, but it's uh, it's a little interesting feeling when you're trying to, you know, you're celebrating and you're on your own, not by choice, but uh, absolutely no complaints and ready to talk some Star Wars here. Um, you, Joseph. And, uh, uh, oh, oh, no, too, I do want to talk about, we um, we are taping a Star Wars show and tell soon in uh, our third episode, folks, and, and Jennifer Land is going to be on the show. Uh, hopefully, I shouldn't maybe sell too much because, uh, you know, life can change. But um, excited to have Jennifer back in the fold for that. So look for that on our YouTube channel. All right. Let's get into the news. Uh, we've got casting news. Casting news in Cassie and Andor. Weird during this time. I mean, they're, they were about six weeks away from going into production on the series. And I uh, wouldn't ex- be expecting to have any uh, news. But uh, Variety uh, with Justin Kroll and Joe Otterson uh, writing this report. Uh, they were the first to say that Stellan Skarsgård and Kyle Kyle Soler, or Soler, uh, maybe, um, are joining Diego Luna in the Rogue One prequel series, Cassian Andor, our Rogue One spinoff series, however you want to look at it. Uh, no information on, on their roles uh, and, of course, with the production held up, we're not quite sure when the series will debut. It was previously scheduled for 2021. So, Joseph, uh, let's dive on into this uh, casting news. As always, we like to say unconfirmed, uh, but that just means StarWars.com hasn't run a story about it. But where uh, where's your mind go with these two names? Oh, well, uh, the first place my mind goes is I am not familiar with any of Kyle Soler's work, so uh, <laughs> I won't have a strong opinion on that. Uh uh, Skarsgård I've seen in a bunch of stuff including the MCU and he just seems like great Star Wars casting like absolutely uh, perfect for somebody who has some uh, gravitas but familiarity with the genre pop culture stuff and when I imagine him playing a Star Wars character in general but specifically in this era I just immediately think conflicted Imperial like somebody who's Ooh. working for the Empire and but not sure if he should 
Hmm. Mm, I like that take. Um, without, I mean, just looking at knowing Stellan Skarsgård, his his body of work, he's, yeah, the big blockbusters, the art house films, whatever he's done, a big career. I think everyone rightfully thinks Imperial. I thought a little bit, he reminds me of Draven a little bit, General Draven, um, mm. kind of crusty old uh, rebel officer. But I like your take here of Imperial who might flip sides, maybe be conflicted, uh, has some interactions with Cassian Andor that changes his point of view. I don't know. I, I like where you're thinking, my friend. I like that. Oh, nice. Nice. Yeah. It's, it's really interesting to get this casting, to have this discussion of casting, because it does make you start to imagine like, well, I, I guess I know what might be at stake thematically, but like, what's the actual story? Who are the antagonists? You would imagine Imperials, but you don't you don't know exactly how that's going to take shape. You don't, you don't, you don't. And Kyle, Sol, Solar, Solar or Solaire, I don't, I really don't know, but that's not to discount him or his work, uh, even though Joseph and I aren't too familiar with him. Uh, 101 Dalmatian Street, Poldark, and uh, was seen in the HBO movie Brexit, opposite Benedict Cumberbatch. So he's um, one of those actors on the rise, just looking at him, you know, we're not counting for contacts, wigs, and makeup. I, I actually could see him, uh, this is a wild guess, being some sort of hotshot rebel. Uh, or a contact, not necessarily an Imperial guy. He's got a little bit of a, a young Imperial. Uh, maybe he's the opposite of Skarsgård. Maybe he's the Imperial who believes in the cause of Palpatine. But I, I could see him being a hotshot rebel. Oh, nice. Nice. Yeah, I suppose one of these characters could be uh, who whichever Imperial was uh, supposed to not let uh, K2SO be stolen. <laughs> it's the droid. <laughs> episode two where's the droid <laughs> i like that there at this point we're, we're far out we understand that but we kind of know what the series is going to be about and we definitely know the era with these two on board uh, any other casting wishes this far out for production joseph yeah my other casting wish is genevieve o'reilly confirmed as mon mothma damn it that's the one i want uh as, as a y-wing starts to go in the background here as my annual gardener visit happens um yeah, uh, do you, Jimmy Smith's too, is Bell Organa, you want to go that that route? What, what do you think there? How much do you want it just to be a continuation of some of those great scenes in Rogue One? Uh, yeah, I'd love for Jimmy Smith's uh, to be there, but I, I just, um, Mon Mothma is such an important character, the way that uh, she has been developed in, I mean, it's known in the, in the major films, but in Rebels and in... Uh, modern canon books that she is the true leader of the rebellion and it since i think this uh, show will be about and should be about uh cassian's moral quandary of how far am i willing to go i have to do really really terrible things to have that contrast of mon mothma is this noble leader that he almost maybe even has like a james bond uh, relationship with m cassian to mon mothma that she's the sort of like kind noble mother figure who's asking me to do horrible stuff I just think all of that could be really juicy and i think genevieve o'reilly is amazing and i would like her to get just juicy amounts of screen time a lot of juicy things i love there uh you got me thinking about timeline too and i don't want to for myself get so lost and trying to figure out exactly where it pops on the um, pops down on the map there but um Looking at Star Wars Rebels, where Mothma has her great speech, and kind of that's where she starts, you know, basically has to run away from the Senate and hide. 
uh, and we're two or so years out from the events of Rogue One and New Hope. Uh, you know, I don't know where the show will fall on that. And if there if there's an answer, I've forgotten that. I I don't know off the top of my head. I don't know if you know. Um, but where we get Mothma on that chart is interesting to me. It could be two different kinds of storytelling with Mothma. Yeah, yeah. I I can't remember off the top of my head either. I think it was on one of those uh, charts at, at one point. Um, and I think it might have been a little farther out. You're right. Uh, but I, I think that, that you could still have those uh, good Mothma interactions, even if she is not, you know, hasn't fully declared yeah. herself to the galaxy the way she does in the Rebel. In Rebels, she's still, you know, being the leader. Yeah. Uh, and I'm almost more intrigued of of Mothma before the public declaration. You know, Mothma, Organa, any other senators working, and and then Cassian Endor is part of that. Where it is, it is, it is really piecemeal at that point. You know, it's it's not even post uh, her making the speech in Rebels. I, I I don't know about you, but I'm I'm intrigued about that about them having actually put the pieces of the rebellion together. That's exciting to me. Yeah, yeah, you get some of those. I know I talk about the Americans uh, TV show a lot because it's uh, a writer who's who's the showrunner. But I love that show and it did such a great job of creating these intense, awful pressure points. Um, you know, and I imagine something like that where Cassian is, you know, has uh, made some relationship with some Imperial who seems like a decent person, but he has to kill them or Mon Mothma will be discovered as you know a traitor. It's you know, yeah, he does something awful or. Or everything's blown, and those situations uh, I think are going to make this a really different Star Wars. You're pitching some good stuff here, I love that. Uh, any, any um, uh, for, for me, any other casting wishes kind of are, are similar to your vibe. I've talked often, probably too much. I, I definitely would love to see a scene or, or something involving Infus and Nest again. That to me goes with them having to pull different parts of the galaxy in that are not uh, in this open military based rebellion, but this kind of spiritual rebellion and, and uh, this different kind of rebel, practical rebellion. You know, I would love to see that. And we, I, you know, we talked on Clone Wars report yesterday. I get giddy at any mention of Saw Gerrera. <laughs> it just would, especially if he, especially because he's being mentioned in Clone Wars and he goes so far back into the history uh, in, into you know season five of Clone Wars the Onderon arc, it, it 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 would be weird to me if there isn't even a mention of Saw. So I, I'm almost assuming that's going to happen. I think so, since he is uh, in the Star Wars storytelling of this era, he is the symbol of going too far. And if yeah. that's Cassian's central question of like, oh, did I just pull a saw? You know, that would be good. <laughs> Cut back to Forrest Whitaker, like, good, good, you did good, Cassian. I just killed a bus of children yeah <laughs> oh boy that show could be dark anyways more information on casting andor i'm sure we'll start coming on out as they start locking up at least some performers that kind of stuff's still going on even though production physical production can't really happen until the uh, pandemic comes on down hoping for the best there uh next headline if you will and it is is star wars zoom backgrounds exclamation <laughs> point you mentioned the meeting joseph perhaps uh, this could have uh, the embarrassment could have been avoided if your uh, lovely wife was using one of these Zoom backgrounds released on StarWars.com because then you would have walked by and people would have just assumed you were part of the background. <laughs> she had that Star Killer base uh, screen up, then I would have fit right in. Me and my yeah. phasma pants. StarWars.com released some 31 backgrounds for your virtual meetings. And by the way, computers, the one I'm recording on right now, the Hoth one, is my background picture, and it looks good. So. 
lot of fun. Hey, uh, with everything going on and we all got to make do or make transitions and changes in our professional life and, and, and definitely our personal life. I think this is a great gesture from StarWars.com, a fun thing. And again, like I said, just general background photos are good to have anyways. So uh, I even used one for a thumbnail for my birthday stream. I mean, come on, what are you going to do? <laughs> uh, so uh, what background are you going to travel to, Joseph, in your meetings of the future? Oh, wow. Well, you know, I don't have a lot of uh, meetings, uh, and I think I would have two ready to go depending on what I wanted to convey. Okay. I think if I was entering into anything sort of uh, conflict-oriented, I would use uh, the Emperor's uh, throne from Exegol. Oh, because yeah. it, it yeah. really does. It looks creepy and sort of demands respect. Uh, but if I wanted to just be peaceful and gentle and encourage everybody to feel happy during this difficult time, that beautiful Cloud City picture. Yeah. Ooh, I like that. How about yourself? You you got Hoth, you said? Uh, yeah, I, I got Hoth, the one with the Tauntaun in the corner. Because <laughs> I was more the one with the little turret there. And I was like, yeah, you know, that's, a, that's an act of war. If you're going to enter a Zoom call and you got to cannon facing facing you down on the other end of the call you know but but a tauntaun you're gonna be like oh ken's having a he's on an adventure today i uh i, I also downloaded the jakku one i just it's a kind of even it's jakku which is a, a new newer planet obviously but it's got that classic feel and then i have the job of the hut one with the Jabba's palace mm. uh, I, sh I should say there's two tattooing choices there's more of the pod race one uh, fit for day but I, I i downloaded the Jabba's palace one because who doesn't like Jabba's palace you know, just on the hill. Beautiful, beautiful in its evilness. Yeah, I mean, it's just social. If you're going to have a party, that's known on Tatooine as a place to go have a party, right? I, you know, as a kid, I used to look at some of those pictures of Jabba's Palace, whether it be the art, the matte paintings that were released in some magazines. And I would daydream far too long about, like, what was just some of the space used for? <laughs> <laughs> so I think when it comes to like battlefront games where you get to roam, roam around these maps, that's why I'm so obsessed with like, Oh, there's like a sauna and hookah bar on one side. Like <laughs> great stuff here, man. I, 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 I'm oddly fat and I'm sure I'm not alone. I'm just like, what's the function functionality of, of Jabba's palace. Yeah. From dungeon to sauna, he's got it all. Oh, that Jabba. Uh, so, hey, you out there, get your Zoom Star Wars background and enter a meeting with a newfound confidence from a galaxy far, far away. Next story up, the Clone Wars book cover revealed. We've known about this book for a while. This is Star Wars, the Clone Wars, stories of light and dark, 10 retellings from the Clone Wars uh, that we know, the animated series, and, and, and who knows, and one original uh, Sisters story. A lot of different authors involved with this one here, but the cover art is by Zenya Zelent. Oh gosh, I looked up how to say it too. Zenya, I got that part right. Zelentova, Lazentova. Uh, Kristen Baver, she did such a good job on the Star Wars YouTube show, and I messed it up. I researched this, I swear. Uh, watercolor art through all out the book, but this is what the cover is. Uh, clone War, like a, like a clone helmet, fiercely looking back at you here. Uh, this book will be released August 25th. It's kind of bittersweet because that's uh, supposed to be maybe not be Star Wars Celebration, obviously, with what's going on, Comic-Con being canceled. Also a story of the week, something we're not really talking about here, but um, that's the time. So, uh, Joseph, we were aware of this book, uh, but now we're uh, in the final stages of the Clone Wars series. We, we at this point, have three episodes left. What are our expectations, desires for these stories now? 
I'm just really excited to go maybe a little bit deeper into some of the characters and just have some fun uh, spending time with a specific clone and maybe really celebrating how they're different. So there's that element. And then, you know, having done some of our rewatches and, and poking around, there are so many arcs that are really, really either uh, important directly in plot to future Star Wars storytelling or really thematically connected. And I'm kind of hoping that a couple of these stories kind of uh, dive in and, and, and draw some of those connections together. I, I like that. I like that. like what you're saying. I love uh, different perspectives. Uh, I don't want it totally to be like a, you know, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern, Guildenstern type of uh, story, but um, I, I love that in Star Wars and the Clone Wars is so big and sweeping to get these other perspectives too from troops on the ground or officers or, uh, you know, even a droid. I hope there's a droid story. <laughs> I would be very happy. You want, you want the D squad? Yes. Oh yeah. Oh gosh. There might be a Mieber Gascon story. <laughs> Think about that. I'm okay with it. I'm okay with it. Uh, so we shall see the, again, said the book, uh, currently set for release, uh, August 25th. Final headline of the day. Steven Spielberg saved Babu Frick's life. Well, maybe. <laughs> But that's certainly a sexy headline. In an interview with Empire, a full article is forthcoming. We got a little clip. Uh, Neil Scanlon, he of the creature shop in the modern Star Wars era, head of all that stuff, uh, was talking about Babu Frick, talking about a lot of things about the character and design and everything. But uh, said at one point, and he said this, he said, well, I heard there was a rumor that uh, Spielberg saw an early screening and at the end of it asked J.J. where Babu was during the end of the film. <laughs> Um, because he was just in love with his character and most of the world eventually would agree. Um, so there's that. And then there's this little thing here, Shirley Anderson, the great performer behind Babu Frick, who, as we saw in the documentary, not just did the voice, but controlled the, uh, the puppet. She said that she seemed to indicate. And again, she said she thought that an assistant director did some, uh, not, not necessarily the second unit director that we uh, all know about, but the assistant director shot sort of a Babu death scene. <laughs> we know that there's a little bit of an extended situation uh, going on in the novel where you actually kind of get to um, uh, see Babu uh, get rescued by Zori in, in a way from a certain point of view. Um, so we know, regardless, Babu survived. It was Spielberg or not. And what, what do you take about all these? Uh, there's, I mean, for a movie that was just made, Joseph, to have someone be like, Uma says, uh, <laughs> scene. I wasn't there for it, even though I would voice the character. What do you think about all this? Yeah, the story is lost to time, but we found some old ancient etchings in caves that uh, show Steven Spielberg giving CPR to Babu Frick, saving his life. So who knows what it could mean? Headline. Headline. Yeah, it's really funny that there are these. Uh, 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 he said, she said, they said. What's what's going on with it? Uh, you know, it's, this is totally believable to me. In some ways, I kind of like the uh, that it reinforces the actual theme of Rise of Skywalker. One of the themes of like, look, you know, it takes a lot of people working together to make a difference. So I can totally see Spielberg watching it and going, God, that that Babu Frick character is great. You know, everybody's gonna ask you if he's dead. Mm. Uh, and then it makes perfect sense. They look through everything and go, hey, wait, no, we can put him in Zori's ship. Um, make that beautiful, beautiful moment. Yeah, uh, look, I definitely think that moment, it makes sense that it, I'm not going to say it's an afterthought, but just uh, it was something that they came back to later, you know, like, oh, 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 God, you're right. Oh, we can't have the, you can't kill the dog in movies and you can't kill the Babu Frick. Like, we can't do that. <laughs> 
So that all makes sense to me. And at the end of the day, for me, like I said, regardless, I, I, this, this character's great. And it, it, it har- does not harm my Star Wars fandom to have a fun little moment where he emerges and goes, hey, hey, and Poe <laughs> gets excited. I'm sorry. And I've seen people have negative reactions to that sequence. I'm sorry. I don't mind a little joy in my Star Wars. <laughs> so. No, in that it's just pure joy. Pure joy, pure joy. So Babu survived, and and this I was talking about this with some friends the other day. What, what? Well, there's a there's a lack of Babu merchandise. We know this. Uh, the client, uh, not the client, the child, which was wanted by the client. Uh, we also need a lot of client merchandise going to Mandalorian. Uh, but the child merch finally arrived and arrived in 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 buckets. There. Um, what kind of Babu merch and stories do you want, Joseph? Ooh, yeah. Um, for stories, I would love uh, a little bit of like where Babu ends up, like uh, Babu's New Beginnings. Uh, maybe it could be a comic book <laughs> or right. a young reader's book yeah. where, you know, he's lost his home on Kajimi. Uh, and, you know, where does he go in this new galaxy? Does he does he make friends? Does he team up with Dio? Does he ride Dio's head and Dio goes rolling around and they have adventures fixing things together? And he just screams, you know, did, does he become a DJ? He's so good at calling things out. So I'd be excited for that. Um, I, I'm sorry, Babu's, what'd you call it? Babu's, Babu's New Beginnings. Babu's New Beginnings. I, I would love, uh, you never like to force Brian Ward to do work, but if uh, Brian could come up with a great uh, children's <laughs> golden book cover for Babu Frick's New Beginnings, I'm going to order that. Uh, uh, oh, yeah. Anyways, uh, yeah, and merch-wise, Merch, you know, so here's the challenge. Babu, he's so, he's so tiny. He's so cute. He's so wee. Uh, he's almost, he's almost impossible to make to match a uh, three and three quarter. I'd be clamoring for it because uh, he comes with that six inch black series 3PO and he's tiny. Uh, so what I need uh, is a, as a product I normally want, but don't have enough room for. And that is a life size uh, cardboard cutout standee because for Babu Frick, <laughs> I can find room. Okay. I like that. The, going with the, uh, Okay, yeah, I like that a lot. I like that a lot. Um, I, 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 I definitely a life. If they're doing a life size child for sideshow, uh, I definitely want a life size to scale Babu Frick. Oh yeah, uh, cardboard stand. I like what you're saying with the cardboard standee because you can kind of put it out of the way <laughs> if you need to. <laughs> or if I have a fully formed 3D life size Babu, I have a lot of questions to answer. Often, <laughs> you got that Ewok. Yeah, and it's and yeah, and it's tucked away nicely, but tucked away in the garage these days. So um that's what I want. Um Bobby's new beginnings. I just see it. That's so <laughs> that's great. Uh so thank you, Steven Spielberg, for saving Babu Frick's life to lead to more Babu, we hope. Uh before we get to our uh, main show and take a break, we're gonna do our four center recommends an audiobook we think you should try out on us. Joseph, this one this week makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it is the same one as last week because you know what? It's still extremely relevant. It's Ahsoka by E.K. Johnston. I got a chance to stop and reread the first opening uh, chapter uh, prelude. And it's fascinating to see how that's all going to line up with the Clone Wars animated series. But it's just got some really fun, juicy stuff and digging into Ahsoka. It really does. And I think you all should try it out on us by going to audibletrial.com slash force center. Download your free audiobook today. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash force center. All right. Uh, with that said and done, we are going to take a little break on the other side of the break. Get ready. 
We are going all inside the Bunta Eve Classic and Pod Racing in Star Wars here on Force Center. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have 
and Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome back to Force Center, the big show, the main show, the superstar destroyer of our fleet. And uh, I I got to say, I'm more excited than I ever thought I'd be, especially if you went back to 1999, to talk about the Padres, our main topic today. Now, this is talking about pod racing. Start your pods. We're going inside the Bunta Eve Classic the Padres, Padres, and Pod Racers. We talk about them a lot here, Joseph. And and lately, I, I think I've started to mention them once a show, whether uh-huh. it's uh, about book ideas, uh, documentary ideas, uh, uh, video game ideas. And I, and you pitched this back. We were planning topics uh, for the next few weeks or whatever we got going on. And and I just kept saying, if something's, I'm coming back to episode one. I don't know what I, I keep wanting to do something about episode one. I know the 20th anniversary was last year. And I'll, and you put out a list of suggestions, and there's other with Jar Jar Binks, Padme, things we're going to discuss here in Force Center. But you mentioned the Padres, and I was like, yes, yes, it's time. It's time to go in. <laughs> so I don't know what, what drew you to suggesting that as one of the options. Uh, uh, did you just hear the siren song of my heart? Um, maybe a little bit. I think we're both in the same place where we still have lots of kind of deep dive stuff that we want to talk about in Star Wars in general. Still some deep dive stuff, I think, about Rise of Skywalker and the sequel trilogy. But I think we're yeah. both gravitating toward uh, let's talk about some of the zip zoom fun of Star Wars. And maybe that's why your mind has been on episode one. So I think that's why mm. I threw it out thinking yeah, we, I, we could probably make a whole episode of just the pod race. Yeah, and then we, I got your notes, and like, oh man, I, I have to you know, like curb down the amount of thoughts I have about the pod race because <laughs> there's so much to talk about. There's a lot. There's a lot, and uh, I I think this has grown in stature. We're gonna talk about that first. I de- I definitely was, well, I wanted to start with some some facts, and yep, I went to the the internet to find this out. Uh, uh, did not do a lot of my own research, timing things and whatnot. But uh, the Bunta Eve race was an annual event hosted by the Huts. Obviously, we see Jabba and Gardula the Hut there in, up in the uh, viewing box there. Uh, Bunta Eve is a holiday celebrating uh, Bunta Hestelic Shadru, who's a, a hut that ascended to godhood, and they celebrate that on Tatooine annually. And Anakin, of course, won this race with a time of 15 minutes, 42 seconds. Look at that. Life, the universe, and everything. There's the answer to everything there. And 18 racers that we know, only six, six finished one confirmed fatality, which we'll talk about in our bit. <laughs> so, Joseph, I wanted to start a discussion with uh, kind of a, a staple of, around these parts of how we look at things. I want to know about your thoughts about the pod race then in 1999 and what they are now. Let's go into that. 
Okay, yeah, yeah. So then, obviously, it was one of the big flashy things of The Phantom Menace. Uh, I really in, enjoyed The Phantom Menace and started watching it, you know, a lot as soon as I had it on home video. saw it in the theater multiple times. But uh, like a lot of people of our generation, there were parts of it I struggled with. The uh, pod race contained a bunch of those. So the bunch of those preconceived notions of I've watched the original trilogy a million times so i know what star wars is and star wars doesn't look like uh, a face on legs uh, that is ben quadranero <laughs> so i had some of that pushback uh, that we'll talk about it being long gone uh, but i i enjoyed that it was a big action spectacle uh, i enjoyed a lot of the kind of cool badass elements of it it was cool to see uh, uh java it was cool to see uh, the tuscan raiders shooting it was cool to see or a sing. I like that it was generally Qui-Gon being uh, cocky, it seemed to me at the time, and mm. taking this big risk, and that it was an underdog story. But I think maybe the biggest thing back then that my mind used to just turn and turn on, because we hadn't had as many connections in canon, was Jabba doesn't know that that kid's daughter is going to kill him. <laughs> yes. I would think that every, I thought it my very first viewing of Phantom Menace, and I would think every time, like, you remember that name, Jabba, because uh, uh, <laughs> Skywalker's going to, that name's going to ring out, uh, and you're going to get choked by yeah. the uh, heir of Skywalker. Yeah, just a few years later, what, about 29, <laughs> 30 years later, wow. I, I yeah. Uh, yeah, definitely had some of those connections, but to have that vibrant uh, feeling of uh, your time is up, Jabba, that's pretty cool. Uh, any, yeah. uh, what are some of the other uh, things uh, uh, then that grabbed you? Uh, yeah, I, uh, I think then I, there are a lot of the same things that I do like now. Um, uh, the actual sound of the racers, um, just that general kind of feeling of action and speed and seeing Jabba in general, a couple of the specific uh, background aliens I really like then. Um now I think it's it's just I I love all of the details. All of the details are are so rich from enjoying uh, the weirdo pod racers um, and enjoying uh, all of the details of the actual race, like um, where they go and uh, zipping past uh, the by the ramp. There's the uh, like look looks like little homes built into the side of the cliffs yeah. and uh, all the dynamics that are going on with the characters. Uh, I really enjoyed. Um, we're going to talk about it more, but of Foden beat, I think I've been on record. Um, uh, Fode's very real world, uh, general tone, but in particular the, uh, I don't care what universe you're from. That's gotta hurt. That was on my mental checklist of like, yep. Don't like, don't like, <laughs> do not like, uh, I've come to accept it, but it, it, like back in the day in 1999, that was definitely one of my that's a Chris Farley joke. I did. I, Chris, Chris Farley doesn't. I love Chris Farley, but he doesn't exist in Star Wars. Which is funny because uh, a lot of uh, people, myself included, had problems with the Jar Jar busting out a Wayne's World joke. So there's, uh, you know, as much as we're all Sarah Live fans at heart, I guess uh, we don't want it in Star Wars. No, I didn't want to excuse me, and I didn't want <laughs> that's gotta hurt. Uh, and I've come to accept them both. I, I'm yeah. saying it with glee. With glee, indeed. Yeah, I think uh, we're, we're the similar generation and uh, age upon the first viewing, and I think a lot of uh, what you're saying is there for me. I, I do remember, though, having a lot of discussions on the sounds. You mentioned the sounds. A lot of my friends at the time were like, yeah, yeah, but you know what? Those sounds are really cool, and, and a lot of the, the visuals. We, we're going to be talking about the challenges within the sequence, sometimes undercutting some of the great 
uh, successes of this sequence there. But I do remember, you know, the trailer had come out of all the trailers. And I think it was I'm trying to divide them up in my head or maybe I'm combining them in my head. But there was the two shots, right? There was one of the of Anakin kind of pressing the accelerator from the side, right? That was in a trailer. And then the actual running of the course was in the trailer, right? You see kind of almost his pods going slalom style through the kind of the, the cliffs and the arches there. And as always from trailers, I had a different expectation of what those were. Uh, a chase, a fight, something like that. I had no idea until things started to emerge with toys and things like that, that it was a race. And so, yeah, go ahead. No, I was going to say that it, uh, I think in the trailers, there's also the quick scene of Anakin waving at the crowd. And that really, really captured me in the trailers of, Ooh, what's that about? That is right. And did not, I did not immediately connect those in, in, in my mind until things again started to emerge, whether it be, I don't know, Lego sets, figures or posters, whatever. It's it a wild time of toys and soundtracks spoiling the movie you were about to see. Um, so it didn't, cha- it didn't like, I wasn't disappointed or anything. I just, I remember when this started, I was like, oh, this is a full race. Knowing Lucas, like we all, like we fans all do and did. I was like, oh, George is finally getting his space racing in. Like he's just <laughs> going in deep on that. Respected, a, you know, fan of American graffiti. So, uh, uh, you know, riding in your car, uh, uh, dragging on down the strip there. Uh, it all it all tracks for me, right? And so uh, I, I was excited to see that play out. And I just think now where I'm at, you're, you're talking, you know, yeah, same too. Like Ben Quadrenhouse, uh, Foes and Beat, all those kind of things. But like now it's just, it's such a gateway to so many various characters and storylines and potentials uh, storylines and just daydreams out of this one giant sequence that that's where my appreciation really is for it now it's just it is this own own little uh, uh little world within this star wars story that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a great way to say it, that it's you can enjoy it as an action scene, you can enjoy it as with sort of narrative meaning to the larger story of uh, Anakin and Qui-Gon and Shmi and Padme, but it also does really have this cultural life that it took on almost immediately. Like if you wanted to make jokes with your kind of all-in Star Wars friends, mm. it was kind of like funny to memorize and reference the pod racers, right? They, they yes. kind of, they were go-to joke and sometimes when we make something a go-to joke eventually we just kind of the joke part drops away and we just have such a positive association with these characters that we we talk about all the time it, it's, it's so right i was still, that's how i became a spice girls fan and i guess that's how i became a pod racing <laughs> fan yeah because you know I, I would say to my friends my roommates at the time like there goes ben quadrinaros's power couplings and now that's like <laughs> i wait for that part <laughs> You know, and then and 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 Clone Wars recently bringing back uh, Quadrinaris' uh, species, the Tungs. Like uh, the joy on my face, like I never, never in May of '99, you could have not convinced me that you know you'll be happy. You'll be happy when Ben Quadrinaris' uh, friends show up in other Star Wars properties. <laughs> yeah. There's going to be an animated TV show, an episode that's going to wrestle with what does it truly mean to be a Jedi? And then a bunch of Ben Quadraneroses are around. <laughs> so a lot of those kind of things. And then, you know, the, the Aura Singh, all those kind of things uh, within it too. Again, just kind of getting your getting your head canon daydream mind spinning. And I like some of that. Uh, we talk about a lot of the big picture things. Uh, let, let's go right to the challenges. I think that we mentioned them. I don't want to dance around them. There are a lot of challenges within this, in the sequence 
Uh, we're both very positive fans, and, and what that means is not putting on blinders. It means realizing that there's some things that we just don't take, uh, we don't agree with, or we wouldn't have put there ourselves, but we're not the ones uh, making these films. Uh, and there's uh, three I've listed, and, and, and please, Joseph, add any, any more. Um, Fodes and Bede, uh, and I love Greg Proops, by the way. I love his uh, improv skills. I used to watch him on Whose Line Is It Anyway, the British version with Clive Anderson. Uh, good night. Uh, so I was happy to hear his voice, but eh, not in that capacity. The EOP farts, uh, which in the extended, <laughs> extended scene are right. extended. <laughs> George was not subtle in that. At some point, Ben Burt turns to him and says, I think we should cut some of the EOP farts. Yeah. I mean, the fact that the EOP gets behind it and pushes, the EOP strains, it makes it narrative because it's like the EOP doesn't have to fart, but it knows that Jar Jar's face is there right now. And this is the moment of opportunity. It looks back with uh, uh, glee and some excitement and vengeance in its eyes as if it knows already the world doesn't uh, like Jar Jar. <laughs> Uh, yes, it does. Thank you, Disney Plus, for making that extended scene just <laughs> at my fingertips. Even though I'd seen it before, it was uh, easy to oh. watch a few times. Um, and then this one I'll list because um, it, it's also not just the pod grace. It's something that it kind of maybe affected my enjoyment of the, of the film early on. And I had heard this uh, discussed on a radio show um, back in the day. On, uh, there was a radio station in L.A. called 97.1 FM Talk. Uh, which, uh, as it uh, sounds, was an FM talk station. And on the weekends, there was a film reviewer guy. And I actually event later on went, to, went on to meet him uh, over at the After Buzz. I used to, uh, used to do a show over there at the After Buzz house. His name was Leo Quinones, and he was like the film guy or movie guy or something like that back in the day. And this was 99 uh, where, you know, you know, a radio show talking about movies was like, what? What are you talking about? It's not, not sports. <laughs> and I used to want to drive around uh, patrolling my, uh, my the property I used to work at at the time. I listen, and, and he was the, he went in on the extras and I remember it. And he's just like, sometimes the movie is as good as your extras. And, you know, I don't necessarily agree with all these things over time. And who knows where his mind is on it is now, too. But this is this is like the week after the movie came out. And I, I, I even even this weekend, I was watching it and, and studying the sequence to make this note. Yeah, there are in the pod race moments, whether it's during the introductions, uh, crowd reactions, even the victory uh, kind of reaction. There's some weird choices by the extras that are in there. <laughs> People in full on, you know, Quarren costumes doing like weird hand gestures like they're in the, the, the you know audience of an Arsenio Hall show or something like that. <laughs> Um, bad reactions and, and look, uh, you know, extras, uh, being an extra is, is, is darn good work if you can get it cause you get some good food and a good day rate, but does not necessarily mean, you know, you're a, a, a superstar actor, but some people are, by the way, some that's, that's a way to get in. Um, so I'm not casting aspersions, a wide net at least, but Joseph, I, I, I want to start there. Do you, do you share that? Is that something? Cause that's been in my mind for 20 plus years. No, I, I think they're I, the extras in general have never been a big uh, bother for me. They're definitely like some there's one or two shots where almost everybody in the shot is a human. It's a, like a big crowd reaction. And then there'll be like one alien that really does look like it is 
a normal human sporting event where one asshole is wearing a mask. Yes, that's the <laughs> yes. And he's doing like a hand gesture thing, right? <laughs> yeah, that's the only one that ever was just like, that's a little bit of an awkward shot. Like there should have been three aliens in it because it honestly does just look like, well, uh, here's a bunch of Minnesotans watching the Vikings. And this one bought, brought a Star Wars mask. <laughs> That's the, yes, yes, that's a good way to look at it. I'm looking at it more, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and again, and so over, so that was definitely a then, but for me now, it still stands out to me just because I've been, in, <laughs> you know, kind of in tune with that for years, right? You know, I've just looked at that and been like, oh, yep, I remember that guy on the radio talking about it. I remember going back yeah. to the theater and being like, yeah, I kind of share that feeling. So it doesn't bother me anymore, but it's still there. I still see it. Um, uh, so I don't. I'm, I'm glad you totally have the scene in my mind. That's the one that gets me the most. Yeah, um, I do like a lot of the other uh, background characters, in particular uh, Watto's box. Uh, is there, yes. There's one uh, alien that I I always liked him, and when we were studying for one of the Schmodown trivia contests. I had to try to find him and he, he was hard to Google, uh, but it's a uh, Graxall Kelvin uh, weird kind of, he's green. He's got the kind of pointy arrowhead and yep. just this big hulking weirdo. Mm. I love a good hulking weirdo. <laughs> this is also why I don't study for star Wars trivia contest anymore. But um, um, you, you mentioned, I want to dive into the, into the box, uh, Watto's box, as you said, um, with with uh, Weasel, uh, uh, you know, uh, Warwick Davis showing up, there again is the potential for so many stories within this sequence. And look what we got with Weasel. We have a story, an untold story for the most part, but shows up again in Solo, and it works. It tracks. It's good. It, it's like I, I love that the Padres can create a, a, a lot of potential uh, characters and storylines. Yeah, I got a Weasel from Solo action figure. It's great. It's a, it, it's 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 amazing that, that that's there. Yeah, Wado's box is a. Uh, is uh, the the sheer joy they're experiencing at some of the failures of the podcast. <laughs> this sequence, like I said, is is a well. I, I, any other things stand out to you? I should say any other specific challenges from the the pod race. Yeah, I, I guess I, I was just thinking about processing how uh, from in ninety nine from my perspective then how I had such a like this. X is not Star Wars and how I'm really happy that that has passed. Like uh, the, the, that's got to hurt. And I don't care what your universe for you, you're from will never be my favorite line. Cause it is getting a little bit too meta in acknowledging the real world. And, you know, th th we say universe every once in a while in Star Wars, but it's mostly yeah. galaxies. So there's a lot that kind of brings me out a little bit, but honestly, that's the main thing that ever bugs me about Fode at this point, because through all of the Clone Wars animated series in, in other parts of the prequels. And, and even I honestly, I would say with Babu Frick a little bit, we've got a lot of different kinds of creatures and kinds of voices so that it just mm. blends in. And in some of his delivery, I, I actually like like Mahonic. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, you know, as you mentioned uh, many times, a uh, Skywalker, a local boy, yeah. like, there's a lot there that I like. Um, yeah. And then the other thing I wanted to say about the OPU, EOP farts uh, quickly. Besides the great strain in the in the bonus, just go go watch the extended version just for the EOP strain and some other heartbreaking, shocking surprises. Uh -huh. um, I I've really been enjoying uh, the um, wisdom might be too big of a word. I've been enjoying the other perspective of getting to hear from Force Center fans who are at different ages when they saw the prequels, yeah. and I have had such kind of grump against some of the humor in uh the prequels mm. and, and just knowing that like 
hey, if that EOP farting in Jar Jar's face was the first time I saw a fart joke on screen, it would have killed me. And I would have thought it was great. Mm. And it, it was just fun to sit here this morning rewatching uh, this whole scene and just remembering some of the sense of whimsy, the sense of fun, the uh, kind of just really straightforward traditional humor is the point and being able to just enjoy it for its intent instead of being, you know, a 20 something dressed in black going, you know, when's Darth Maul going to kill someone <laughs> and realizing that the movie can be both. It can. Yeah. It can exist in, uh, in both uh, kind of arenas. Uh, and, and uh, we talk about the feeling of star Wars, uh, which again, we totally get it because the prequels were held up against uh, what came before, just like the sequel trilogy is as well. in the other movies, um, it, it, you talk about the vantage point, uh, you know, your first time you see Star Wars, wh- what do you, uh, when you take it in, if you're seven, eight or nine or 10 or 11, whatever, when you see the pod race, this, this, this has to feel like Star Wars to you. It's got great sound design, speed, crashing, racing, drama, the kid wins. You, you got to come out of that going, I want more of that in my Star Wars going forward. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, that sense of, yeah, the zip, zoom, bang fun. Mm-hmm. And a lot in there, uh, a lot in there uh, for that. Like we were saying, uh, the sequence is it's kind of Lucas's love letter to speed in cars. Uh, famously, he crashed a car when he was a teenager, nearly took his life, and it kind of tempered his race car driver dreams. So there's a lot of that in there. So Lucas really put a lot into it, which is why it is such a long Scene, but this is also just a big testament to so many of the wonderful behind the scenes, behind the scenes contributions we love in Star Wars sound design, editing, uh, a lot of the the behind the scenes kind of all stars, uh, John Knoll and Brad, Ben Burton, all these people really put it in and in, in put their hearts into the sequence, uh, which is another reason I think I love it now. I love uh, the sounds you, we keep keep mentioning the sounds. Each pod's kind of individual sound. Sebulba's um, uh, monster pod sound. Like I, ju- I just love all of it, Joseph. What are some of the some of the highlights in that realm that you love about about the pod race? Yeah, I mean the, the sound is just huge. I think it has been one of those things that it, if everybody who even was like at the time, like eh, I'm not sure about it. The dude sound cool. Uh, the just that yeah. that kind of uh, sound that sounded really gritty and real, and like that engine was powerful, but could also cut out at mm. any second. Um, and I remember I haven't watched uh, some of the, these behind the scenes in a long time, but uh, just knowing how involved Ben Burt was with the pre visualization and just getting that sense that, you know, he'd been with uh, George on this journey for a long time. And now he was even more involved and you got that sense of a kid playing, you know, mm-hmm. and um, to know a little bit more, you know, I, I think I mentioned to you, I saw this um, movie about sound designers a little while back uh, called making waves. And it's got some great stuff of Ben Burt, you know, as a young adult making his own sort of serial adventure a movie and, and knowing how in sync he was with Lucas and seeing like these two uh, grown humans, uh, Lucas and Ben Burt getting to play together to make their action figures go fast in zoomy cars. <laughs> and they're also making like a huge big budget movie, but at the heart of it, that's what it is. Yeah. That uh, that's uh, I, I love what you're saying there, man. That's some, uh, uh, we talk often about action figures, uh, the action figure things in Star Wars, and John Favreau's playing with his. Well, yeah, hot damn, man. George gets to play with action figures too. <laughs> he finally got to sit down <laughs> and do some racing. And, and, and the 
the especially watching it, you know, at 22 for me in 1999 and comparing it to the speeder bike sequence, not just on screen, but how they made the speeder bike sequence. I, I took it a little bit of extra joy out of that too. just going, you know, when they were playing with, uh, you know, Kenner figures in a fake forest with made of cardboard tubes and learning how to shoot and, 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 and like I said, pre uh, visualize the, the, the speeder bike chase. To see that was one of the times where wow technology is at this at this point in time technology had finally uh, caught up to George's imagination and I thought that was evident all through the race. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a really great way to put it that they could really go go crazy with it and make it everything that they saw in their minds. Yeah, and a lot of the editing too is is uh, um, a big thing that pulls me into this. And I remember at the time talking to my friend Joel, who actually teaches screenwriting down here at uh, CSUN and Valley College in L.A. area, and uh, we had, we were roommates at the time, and he brought it up like he's like, he's like George really knows how to you know, and George will tell you, you know, there should be no dialogue in these movies. Just turn them down, keep a score going, and, and hear the sound design. You don't need anything, and the, the click of the buttons, Anakin's uh, face, and I'll tell you, Jake Lloyd, God bless him for all the things that were were slung at him for lots of parts of the movie. I thought, I think the pod race. To me, he's great all the way through the pod race with no dialogue yeah. in the way, just the, the, the selling the expression, selling the tension. Uh, and then one of my favorite scenes, uh, Joseph, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on, on a lot of this stuff, is is uh, when he has to uh, shoot up in the air uh, to get, and, and, and you know, Sebulba kind of runs him off the track and Anakin goes high up in the air and, and, and just there's that silence. And silence can be used so well, uh, so effective in rock songs and Star Wars sequences or whatever you want to use them for. Just that moment of silence when he, right before he engages, and thrusts ahead of Sebulba. It's such a good moment. It's such a moment of uh, a victory, even before the actual victory for, for Anakin, for us as, as fans. I think it works really well as a testament to George's ability and those, and those around him, Ben Bird and, and, and everyone, uh, to put together just great fun you call zip zam zoom storytelling i love it yeah yeah and i think his jake lloyd's performance uh in this section is like one of the best because you get that uh intensity that really feels like anakin this is somebody who really really is uh wants to win he comes off as like damn kid you you are in the groove and then that matches up with what Qui-Gon tells him right before the race of like don't think feel be in the moment and it seems like he is just like I am in this zen place where the only thing that matters is, I have no fear the only thing that matters is win 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 yeah we're going to talk right now uh, and let's pull from some of the th- things you just said there into this thing here this race takes place at the movie's midpoint. Uh, now, uh, midpoint is a traditional screenwriting term, rule, however you want to look at it. I actually want to hear your definition of a Joseph compared to mine because there's different schools of thought and different ways to learn things uh, about the midpoint. So we want to talk about the pod race as the Phantom Menace's midpoint. Um, for me, and I studied screenwriting for two years and written a lot of scripts, none of them produced it on a super giant level, but... I have the old Sid Field midpoint in my brain. This is where, where sometimes your people's takes on the midpoint might differ, where it's just like, here it is, uh, 55 pages, 60 pages in the movie, an hour in. Uh, what is the first act? Uh, the first act of the film, it needs to connect with the last act, or you know, normally the three acts, but you know, the first half needs to, and, and we learn something here 
in this midpoint that connects the two halves together. And it's a pretty enlightening moment for, for me. And it's a, it's something that moves the story forward, but also pays homage to the story so far, if that makes any sense. So that's kind of a traditional Sid field uh, who wrote the tr very, very traditional three act structure form of screenwriting. That's uh, used. That's not necessarily always the most creative, but it is my view on it. So what's your view of the midpoint and how it applies here? Yeah, I mean, I've, I've certainly uh, heard of the, some of the kind of uh, hinge ideas, but I think the the idea that I've uh, gravitated to a little bit more of the midpoint is that it is usually a victory for the hero, and it's either uh, something that's like, great, you won that, but that's not actually going to solve your main problem, or it's something where the hero feels very victorious, but it is actually, you know, a, a pyrrhic victory. It's actually a victory that it ends up being hollow. Um, and I feel like... Uh, that idea uh, of uh, a victory here really makes sense to me. It really does feel like the true midpoint of the film because this is a huge victory for both Anakin and Qui-Gon. Mm. Yeah. We we're both, uh, yeah, we're in the same ballpark there. Cause I, I, my focus, obviously it's on Anakin, but I, I keep looking at Qui-Gon and, and uh, where he ends up at the end of the film, uh, which is, Hey, this kid's the one, uh, trade him. Uh, a lot of that ties to what he witnesses here and everything that's on display with Anakin uh, and uh, where he starts out. So yeah, I, I focus for there uh, for that. What what what? Um, it's pretty clear what we learned from Anakin here. Uh, but the victory, the hollow victory. I mean, hey, congratulations! You won your freedom. Say goodbye to your mom's. <laughs> that's pretty hollow. That works for me as well. Uh, what other things do you do you love about this in service of the story? Yeah, I mean, I think a big picture thing that I love about this scene, we've been talking a lot about the, the, the action and the excitement, but I like that it is an underdog story. It's this local boy, you know, a slave, yeah. a human who shouldn't even be able to do this. And then that Qui-Gon is pinning all of the stakes of what's going to happen to Naboo about, you know, mm -hmm. his own really relationship with the Jedi Council, all on this absolute belief that this kid can win this contest. It, it is, it is great, you know, stakes building and, and it's heightened so well by Shmi being so worried for him mm. and for Padme really disapproving. <laughs> so it, it's heightened really well. Mm. So I think there's the victory where Qui-Gon's just real faith in Anakin being the chosen one in the real faith that the will of the force is for him to leave this planet with me mm. and for him to demonstrate his, his, you know, potential Qui-Gon wins entirely. Uh, and then for Anakin, I feel like it really is this uh, first step in a larger world moment where this is the first time that somebody has said, hey, these things that you can do that you're better at, they're for a purpose. They're for a reason. It's because, you know, you, you can touch the force. So I feel like in some ways, both timing-wise and Star Wars poetry-wise, Anakin winning the pod race is the first time that he uh, made a choice to connect to the force, even though it's not super explicit in the way the story is told, which really connects to me the moment uh, in a new hope when uh, Luke is on the Falcon, mm. Obi-Wan's teaching him with the, with the blast shield down and he tries to reach out to the force and feels it for the first time. And we get the iconic Obi-Wan Kenobi line about taking your first step into a larger world. And it feels like this is, the uh, a new hope rhyming moment with that. I uh, that that's a great breakdown. It's a great analysis of it there. The, the the of what we learned from Anakin. Yeah, because he's 
He's clearly got it. It, it. It's the fact that he even mentions, hey, I do pod racing causes Qui-Gon to be like, wait, what now? Um, you should be doing that. So, so I love the, what it proves there. I love you mentioned, too, the, 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 the putting a lot of the fate of Naboo into this race and how that relates to Padme and their relationship. Um, and it, it, it's potentially a big lesson for Padme of putting a little trust, but also later on learning she's still got to do things on her own. It kind of takes a matter in her own own hands, uh, you know, bound before Boss Nass and all that kind of stuff. So there's, there's a lot going on, uh, a lot going on, as there should be, which shows that this sequence is more than just sounds and Ben Quadraneros, right? <laughs> that's right yeah yeah because i think at this point in the movie there's also this sense of if we can get to coruscant everything will be fine and yeah. you know that's when the script really turns again when like no everything's a mess on coruscant for everybody and that's another part of like well great we got off tatooine and you proved that you were strong in the force but that didn't resolve our immediate issue there it is some, some uh, midpoint screenwriting lessons here uh if you want to buy that sidfield book there is one in my storage shed at the bottom of a box <laughs> uh if you want that one there uh but go with joseph's uh take to, uh, more than uh, good old the late sidfield um get out your po- get out your index cards and start writing your scripts everybody so from uh, there, uh, I think I know this answer. I just have to bring it up and have to discuss it here. Uh, the the pod race is this giant sequence. It's pretty important to the story. It's important to the characters going forward, not just this movie. And it spurns a, a lot spurs a lot of our imaginations to to um, stories still not told. In the novel, though, uh, the story begins with Anakin in mid pod race and uh, the. Uh, he crashes Sebulba's pod, which is referenced in the movie. I still, I think at the end of the day, I have to go with the choices that they made. Would you on any level want want the Phantom Menace to start with a pod race and a dramatic crash from Anakin? <laughs> Would you have wanted to, that on any level? Uh you know, if you had asked me back in the day when I read the novelization, I would have been like, yeah. And so this is, this is, it's been so long since I've read it. This is the Sebulba flashes him with his vent and he crashes Watto's pod. Uh, oh, did I say Sebulba's pod? Yeah, Watto's pod. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. I yeah, Sebulba causes him to crash Watto's yes, pod, right? Yes, 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 yes. Okay, yeah. Uh, no, and now no, because I, it, it, because of all the Star Wars talking that we do about it, I like that the film is structured from Qui-Gon's perspective. So when Qui-Gon discovers Anakin, we get to discover Anakin. Yeah, yeah. And see, and that's the smart take, if I may call you smart because you are. Yes, no, because you're right, because I read it too. And when and back in 99, I just reread it last year, 20th anniversary uh, reading of the novel. Uh, and yeah, I had the same reaction in my break room at work. Like, oh, God, the book, the novel starts with a race. I wish it started with that. But you, you take, a, you're just going to lose a lot. You lose a lot. I think not just the unveiling of this awesome sequence and who knows, I don't even know how far that got down the script process or the production process. I really don't I have to check with uh, some of the behind the scenes sources there, you know, but um, to what you're saying, it is truly Qui-Gon's point of view. And because now we have six, now nine films, uh, but really six for the, this story, the story of Anakin, you got all the time in the world. And I don't think you need to start with some big flashbang pod race scene that shows him crashing. Uh, I, I think it works on screen as it does now. I, I, I love uh, your take on it. It's been it's it's Qui Gon Qui Gon's journey up to that point. 
Yeah. Yeah. And if we had that, we would lose the impact of, uh, of Kitster's great line when, uh, when Padme discovers that Anakin's, uh, uh, when Anakin's like, I'll do it this, he'll, you'll do it this time. Why finish the race, of course. <laughs> yes. And no one should undercut <laughs> Kitster. Uh, nope. more on Kitster in a bit here. Um, so great stuff there. Um, all right. Uh, go with me here, Joseph. Here, uh, let's get into the story of the race. Let's talk about it as I like to do often, as if it was real. Uh, I have some questions, I have some thoughts, and I have uh, a lot of just want to roll my sleeve and have some fun with this pond race. But first, let's start with some of our who are some of your favorite racers and uh, even, even some of your favorite pods if you have that. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, well, I'll get to my very favorite uh, uh, pod racers. Everybody knows, but I just wanted to do a, a shout out to Clegg Holdfast. Uh, I did not appreciate him as much as I should have back in the day. Mm-hmm. I like that there's an effort to give them different flavor, and the fact that he does his weird little uh, <laughs> kind of stuffy British man bow <laughs> like he is royalty is so funny, and it's so much flavor. And like compared to everybody else, what are you doing here? Why do you think this is like? a regal respectable event when like everybody else is like high on death sticks in the stands. (laughs) Yeah. He's like, uh, he's like the polo player that showed up at a, at a, at a smash ball game or something there. And I think in, uh, legends, I was watching our friend Alex over at star Wars explained has a great video out, just kind of going through all 18 racers. I think in legends, it said that he went on to, Oh yeah. I'm looking at it right now. Pod racing quarterly. He went on to cover pod racing. Uh, and that yeah, was kind of his primary career. Right? <laughs> yeah. So, wow. The stories, it, 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 I love that. Yeah, he's got a great design because he truly does look like he um, just, uh, uh, you know, uh, saved uh, Harrison Ford in the Temple of Doom with the, the British Army. He's got that look to him. <laughs> and that nice bow. Yeah. Flying uh, his KT-9 my, wasp. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, my my favorite is uh, is Team Toe uh, Paglius. Uh, I like his design, and as I've said many times on the podcast, but if you're a newer listener, uh, I, I fell in love with him because of the PlayStation One Phantom Menace video game. It's a play through the story video game. Uh, I can't, I haven't seen it or played it in years. I can't imagine how simple it looked to my mind now. Uh, but I remember just being delighted because Qui Gon has to go through so much deal making uh, to get every little part. It, it was an absolute comedy where he has to go to this person, to this person to get this part for this part, to get ready for the pod race. You encounter team toe and he's, he's drunk and there's concern about him. Like this drunk's going to be in the podcast. And I just, not that I uh, approve of that in real life, but I fell in love with it. I'm just like this guy who's this little weird alien is like, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> I love Kind of that he's fallen hard times. I read in the description here, Team Toe Pagliis is an outcast of his home world, was able to find fame in the dangerous sport of pod racing nonetheless. Uh, He was considered to be handsome, hilarious, and flamboyant. Uh, That's a great description of this guy. But I love he he has the uh, long tail pod racer. He's there. He is the shot uh, where you, I don't know, you can't, he's almost like at a, at a hamster wheel. He's like sitting in a hamster wheel and he's got the, 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 you know, the gas. He's like, vroom, vroom, vroom. and like, he can't see out the front though. I don't understand his design <laughs> of the Padres, but I love it. 
<laughs> yeah, he must have some sort of see around things, uh, <laughs> odd vision somehow. That must be a, a trait of the Vecnoid species. Yes. Uh, I love his his pod design. I mean, Sabalba's is really hard to beat, uh, but his pod design might be my favorite because that little uh, hole that he sits in as the cockpit reminds me of being in a Star Wars uh, sit down arcade yes. video game. Yes, that's a great. That's a great fall. Yeah, so those are a couple of my favorites for for pods and pod racers. How about you? Uh, look, uh, I I got to tell you, I'm pretty on board for Sebulba. <laughs> pretty much, <laughs> think he's a great design, and I love his pod, uh, and I love having a good heel uh, here. If this is a you know sport, um, but I I uh, we're gonna talk we're gonna talk about Rats uh, Tyrell uh, separately here in a bit. I think we both share a uh, a love for him. I do love uh, Gascano. I do love Odie Mandrell. Uh, number one is like, that oh name. yeah, he looks like a he looks like he belongs in Avatar, and he just found his way <laughs> to a race here, an ear kit. Uh, he's uh, and he's a uh, he's a who's is he a two time winner? Um, no, he's got the pit crew. He's got the pit droids. Um, Odie Mandrell, yeah, has got the the best pit droids ever, who then mess everything up. Hubris. Hubris, hubris. Uh, is it Bull's Roar that's got the? Um, now I'm just chasing a fact here of of uh, who's got the the two other victories here in the Bunte Eve race. That that is my recollection because he gets uh, announced right after uh, Team Toe yeah. in the lineup, and I think they say two time winner Bull's Roar. Bull's Roar. Um, so uh, so Bull about Red Sorrel. Um Gascano, a uh, dud bolt. What a name. Um, <laughs> I'm always annoyed at Mohanic, uh, who we, we did do in a, uh, data bank brawl. I do believe he's, uh, he's a grand. Um, I don't know why I don't like him. I just, there's something I don't like about him. I don't, I don't, I don't know. He's boring to me. I want more excitement in my races. Uh, is it his, uh, is it his, uh, dumpy backside? <laughs> I think it's his dumpy backside. Yeah, he does that bow. Real big, dumpy backside. Come on, Mahonic. Do some. It's just really it bad fashion. It's I'm not, I'm not body shaming a Mahonic. No. It's uh, no. it's bad fashion. No, no, no. I'm not either. But there's yeah. You're 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 not wrong. You're not wrong. I think that might be it. Uh, and the final one. Uh, as far as pods, I, look, I I have grown to uh, love Ben Quadraneros. I like his pod. I'm ashamed to get see it. It's a shame to get see in action. He's got a, a quadrupod racer. And I think it's a great design. It does look like four jet engines, uh, barely connected, as uh, you know, we saw that they weren't quite connected. So I, I like him as well. Uh, good old Ben. Cool. Can I tell you an obsession uh, yeah. that I have there with Ben? Yes. So uh, they say it is Quadraneros. We all say Quadraneros. Yeah. It is not spelled Quadraneros. That's right. Quadraneros. It's Quadraneros in the spelling. Oh, yeah. Consistently. So it's this very weird real life thing of like uh, uh, Ben Ben Quadraneros has a a mystery R in his name. You're right. You're right. Oh, it's, it sounds better that way too. But Quadraneros, <laughs> interesting. There goes his power complex. Um, so some of our favorite racers there. Uh, well, oh, I forgot what. Pitroids, Pitroids. When they showed up in the Mandalorian uh, episode five, it, it was I was excited. And I never would have thought going back to 99 that I'd be excited about the pitroids. Not that I didn't like them back then, but what, what's your thoughts on pitroids? 
I know Pitroids kind of go almost in the same category for me as the uh, the B one battle droids and and honestly some of the the looks and voices of the aliens in the pod race where it's a little bit more cartoonish side of Star Wars that I think Lucas always imagined but didn't quite end up on screen in the original trilogy that I now just accept because it's everywhere and I like it mm. uh, and I, I like I like the design of the pit droids. And the only thing I ever didn't like about it was like, mm, well, do, do they have to be as silly and have high pitched voices? Can't they be badass? And like now I just <laughs> don't care about that anymore. Yeah. You know, I want some badass little cute droids. Hit the nose. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so there's some of the uh, races there. All right. So the Republic outlawed racing, Joseph here, but um, I, I got. Do you do you think there should be some tougher restrictions? Because the first thing I'm going to go to. Uh, is is uh, the the Tuscan Raiders getting involved? I, I, I it was great. I, by the way, I love that moment, and and that was one of those moments too. By the way, that when I came out of the theater, a lot of my friends were like, "That moment was awesome." And then years later, they were trying to show me YouTube videos that that wasn't awesome. All right, now look, if I can change, I guess they can change in a different direction. But I was there. <laughs> I was there when everyone came out and said that was pretty cool. So, other than liking the sequence in story, what do you think about the Tuscan Raiders getting involved here? It's affecting the outcome of the race. Yeah, they're they're the ones who shot shoot out uh, my uh, beloved Team Toe. He survives. Yes, uh, yes. But, they, but they shoot him uh, and lead to uh, my least favorite line from Fode. Uh No, I love it. It's um, especially with the great uh, expanded ideas in uh, Mandalorian. And, and if you haven't seen Mandalorian yet, you know, uh, fast forward thirty seconds. I'll keep it short. But we we get to have more perspective on the Tuscan Raiders, and I like the idea that either like, hey, they. Uh, they don't really like people encroaching on their territory or this used to be their territory. And then they build a big arena and there's this like noise pollution that's uh, chasing <laughs> all of the various animals away. And like, you know what we're going to do if they're going to be here, we're going to take some shots at these assholes. I, I like that take on it and I can get behind, especially yeah, like I said with the, the Mandalorian stuff. Um, yeah, yeah, and and it, it, again, if it's this is an outlawed kind of form of racing now, or at one point it might have been legitimate. So yeah, I guess it's just part of the part of the sport aspect of it. There, um, I thought I, I always it's interesting to me that they are the Tuscan Raiders themselves are kind of so open about being out there. They seem very secretive, you know, uh, for obvious reasons in a lot of ways. But uh, the fact that they're just there, they're just like, yep. <laughs> We're doing this. There's cameras watching us, but we don't care. <laughs> um, we see pod racing in the Outlander Club. Um, yeah. I believe it's Dud Bolt's pod. We kind of seen a shot uh, confirmed uh, all the sports on the screen there. And I, I am fascinated with the pod race as a sport in Star Wars. It's it's fuels uh, my desires for a pod race video game. Um do you think do you think the mid mid rim looks down on these racers? Why do you think they mid rim? But they mid they look down, but they want to watch it. This is why I think pod racing is the pro wrestling of the galaxy. Right. <laughs> now the pro wrestling of the galaxy, you're gonna get you're getting into like real cultural things, right? Yeah. Where people who and tell me if I'm wrong, where people who appreciate pro wrestling, they they appreciate the physical prowess of it, but also like the fun over the top narrative storytelling and the in yeah. the characters and the the triumphs and the failures and all that. And but they look down on it. 
Um, yeah, yeah. And, I can and, see that. Well, and having uh, having grown up a wrestling fan in a, a different era, it's a little t- received differently now, almost like it's just another form of entertainment, as, as it always was. But now it's just like, oh, I like I like uh, Bond movies, uh, Lord of the Rings, wrestling, and, you know. Um, but I grew up where it's like when I told people I like pro wrestling after a certain age, it was like, oh, I didn't know you were dumb. <laughs> it's like, oh. And then, then you find out. They were they were going home and watching superstars of wrestling on Saturday morning too, just not telling anybody. I I think the they, they've uh, the republic has outlawed racing. It is dangerous. It is dangerous. Um, it's uh, that leads to the underworld involved. Uh, you know, it's it's a sport probably ruined by gambling. Tuscan Raiders are shooting at people. Um, but yet here's the there's the mid rim planets uh, enjoying the spoils of uh, this form of entertainment without getting their hands dirty. I guess is my problem. I think that is where my mind uh, went that maybe some other parts of pod racing are run a little bit more legitimately, but this is being put on by the huts. <laughs> uh, this is an entirely criminal operation, right? I'm yeah. sure all of the, we know all the betting is controlled by the huts because quite God even threatens like I could go to the huts, uh, but they're there to make money. I think if, if those extras look weird, it's because they're drunk and high on death sticks. <laughs> uh, the Tuscan Raiders, like maybe there's some pod race league somewhere that says mm. you shouldn't let outsiders shoot at the racers. But right. if it makes it more exciting and sells more tickets and sells, you know, broadcast rights to Coruscant. <laughs> Great. Right. I mean, this is, uh, this is the one point where it almost, when you start digging down to it, it almost gets into like, do I really want to think about the real world uh, comparisons <laughs> to uh, people enjoying a sport where there is a lot of injury and cheating? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. These are the things I think about. And as much as I love Saboba, I, I love Saboba. I, I think the, the, was it Lewis uh, Lewis McLeod that does the voice? Oh boy, it's been a, I haven't won a trivia contest in a while. Um, uh, the design, uh, the 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 pod, everything he does, and I think he's a great uh, great villain. The the Twilex, uh, you know, pampering him all every all. Which by the way, I love that scene. I love that scene because I was watching it closely this weekend. Uh, you know. He cut over, and it's like, well, because he always wins. And Qui Gon, Qui Gon's probably looking at Sebulba and being like, "Look, man, I, you know, you're 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 rich off the spoils of this of your cheating. You've got uh, sexy Twi'leks at your beck and call, and I'm a humble Jedi just trying to make more. I can't even kiss me, like, and I want to. Like, I've always, I always feel just a lot of like Sebulba is is uh, high on Qui Gon's. Uh, let's get rid of him list. I don't know. Maybe it's just me. Oh yeah, yeah. And you know, rewatching that scene, uh, we both you know feel strongly as many fans do that there's a vibe between uh, Qui Gon and Shmi. Part of it is the way Qui Gon says good morning to her in that. <laughs> Seen, <laughs> yes. Like it hasn't been that long since they've talked. <laughs> we stayed up late talking about the ways of the force. Um, yes. Um, but here's the thing about Sebulba. I love him, but he's clearly a cheater. He's clearly <laughs> cheater. a cheater, and he's clearly done this before. It's not just Anakin. He 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 wins all the time, generally, and now we know why. So I don't want to take his records too seriously. And I want to know who do you think is the actual best pod racer? And does Anakin have that crown now? I think he does. I think Anakin beat him. Anakin didn't cheat. Anakin overcame uh, all of the cheating. 
So I think for sure uh, uh, he he deserves the the title and and who knows who among our other competitors might have actually won or or maybe even survived if Sabala hadn't been cheating. Right, right. I'm looking at uh, you know Bulls Roar, a, a great Sneeve racer, by the way. Um, he, he is the two time champ and he finished six in the out of the six that finished he fi- finished last. Uh, yeah, I look at him and I feel sorry for guys like him. This is like uh, when you know performance-enhancing drugs come out and some players who, who were on the up and up have to play second fiddle to those who cheated to get their way. I, I just I, I hope the story continues that we find out in, in some sort of canon form that uh, when when after Anakin left the planet, and unlike Racer's Revenge, where Anakin, uh, like a teenage Anakin, comes back to get some revenge on Sebulba, uh, whatever the weird concept of that game is, um, <laughs> that there was kind of like a, hey, we're kind of done with your cheating, Sebulba, even for a, a, an unregulated pod race with Tusken Raiders shooting. And I, 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 want, I hope that he got some com- comeuppance in the ranks of the racing. Yeah. Well, I mean, we know that at some point he raced uh, Ben Quadraneros because there's that poster in Anakin's right. room in the Clone Wars. Yeah. Oh, which is, is one of my favorite little things. <laughs> Yeah. Do, you, do you think Ben Quadraneros rose up and said, enough, I challenge thee to a duel? Yeah, I, <laughs> yeah, I think so. I think maybe Ben uh, is like, you know what? Uh, you don't get anywhere uh, uh, playing it straight. And I think maybe he cheated. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, moving on. And, and we're almost done here discussing the silly parts of the pod race here. You mentioned Kitster. He is uh, grown up, uh, you know, best friends with Anakin for a while here. Uh, looks like he's, uh, you know, didn't grow up to be Boba Fett like some of us thought for a second. Um, <laughs> he, what do you think his relationship with pod racing is as he grew up? Because Anakin goes, but I, the racing remains. And Kitster's oh, heavily yeah. involved. He maybe knows how to run a pit crew. Do you think, I, my question to you, I guess, really is, do you think Kitster became a race owner, a team owner? Oh yeah, yeah, I think so. I because yeah, Shmi even says everything you know revolves around the betting on those awful races, um, and I definitely think that Kitster has a little bit of that sadness and a little bit of that bitterness that like I can't do it, you know, because maybe he doesn't fully understand the whole force thing, mm. and just like oh my friend could do it, but I couldn't. But at the same time, I bet. I bet he traded his friendship with Anakin uh, for ability to move up in the the ranks of management. <laughs> I, I bet he was like, you know, you know who is my uh, my best friend? That kid, yeah. that local boy who won the pod race. I think I think uh, I think this is the direction I want to see Kitster going. Yeah, becoming a a race team owner. Uh, this all fuels uh, it, it falls and fuels my idea for the. Uh, uh, pod racing game I want where you can own a racing uh, team. Um, <laughs> it's come to this sad point in the uh, conversation. Uh, Joseph, what can we learn from the sad tale of Rats Tyrell? Uh, this is uh, the only confirmed fatality uh, in the pod race, and it happens in front of his family, who he was racing for. Yeah, which, you know, uh, I think I maybe first learned that his family was there while when we did a uh, data bank about mm-hmm. Rats Tyrell. Uh, but then watching that longer scene of the the preamble where you get to see the EOP strain to fart, mm-hmm. uh, there's also copious shots of Rats Tyrell's family. It's like they really dig in, right? And say, like, <laughs> they really do. His wife just gave birth and they have an infant <laughs> child. Like, oh my God. And they really lay it on thick. There is the shot, uh, you know, uh, where Rats is, uh, you know, revving up. He's revving up. And 
which, you know, by the way, his accelerator jammed in the Laguna Caves. That's why he dies. But it's revving up, and he looks over, and his, like, wife is looking at They're making eye contact. She's beaming. You know, oh, go win for yeah. us, hon. Go do it. Go do it. All 0.79 meters of your rats. Go ahead and do it. And <laughs> what? This is this is part of uh, maybe George's, uh, I don't know where it comes from in George's mind. <laughs> Like, especially because George crashed, almost lost his own life. It's I love I love it. I'm obsessed with the story of Red Styrell. It is absolutely amazing. Yeah, and it it is sad. We do see some Alinas uh, walking by later, but it is not rats. Uh, he he went uh, to the next level of uh, Alines. Um, you know what? I this is weird because I was watching the uh, pod race this morning, knowing that the Rat Styrell moment was coming up, and I was looking for meaning. You know, sometimes in the real world, we have loss and out of that loss, we want to create some meaning. So here's what I found. I love it. Uh, Or not Obi-Wan, Qui-Gon. Qui-Gon specifically tells Anakin, you know, be in the moment. Okay. And I know Wikipedia says that Rats Tyrell's accelerator jammed. But what you see on screen is he looks behind him, not ahead of him. And that's when he crashes in the Laguna Cave. So uh, I think what I learned from the sad tale of Rats Tyrell is be in the moment, look where you're going. So true. So true. Um, and um, by the way, I was, uh, you know, reading a little bit more about rats um, from Wikipedia. God bless Wikipedia. From the Star Wars Complete Locations book, uh, this is the note they have. Um, Tyrell screamed frantically as he sped to his fate. Even if Tyrell could have survived, he would have received no help by the rescue teams as they avoid the caves because the fearful Krat dragons inhabit them. Oh, no. He was a goner no matter what. That might be the better way to go then than the Krat dragon getting you. Well, you know, I hope that, uh, that there's a giant statue of Rats Tyrell on Alina. He was beloved before, and I think probably, uh, you know, loved even more after. He certainly loved here on this podcast. He did. <laughs> he is. Uh, a couple questions left here that I have for you, Joseph. I, I, I'm going to challenge you here on this. Uh, do you think, I think there's evidence to suggest that Qui-Gon oh. Jinn interfered in the race, that there might have been, not to take anything away from Anakin, we talk about the big midpoint and a lot to be learned, so that, that still stands as a discussion point. But he's manipulating chance cubes. How do we, how do we know Qui-Gon isn't reaching out with a force and doing something uh, un, untoward? Mm, that is that is a good challenge. I do for myself. I think Qui Gon does have his lines. Um, manipulating that he won't cross. Uh, I think manipulating the chance cube is ensuring that should Anakin win the race, that it, that um, that Anakin will be freed, right? Because he he knows that he wants to take him off off world and he wants to do it without violence, if at all possible. Mm. Uh, but I feel like. Qui-Gon would not manipulate the race because I think it is it is a leap of faith uh, for Qui-Gon himself because I think he believes that the, the boy is the chosen one, that uh, you, that he was meant to do this. Uh, mm-hmm. Shmi even says he was meant to help you. And I don't think Qui-Gon would mess with uh, his own leap of faith. You know, I don't think he's mm-hmm. the kind of guy who would say, I trust in the force. I trust you're the chosen one. I trust that you are meant to come with me and that will happen by you winning this race that he's going to mess with that. 
Look, I, I tried to sneak one by you, and, and you and, and you did great. Yeah, yeah. Because then, then talk about hollow victories. How would he know? How would he know? And he knows he can't bring that yeah. back to the council. Oh, oh, this is the chosen one? How do you know? Well, I helped him win a race. Well, you don't know nothing, Qui-Gon. <laughs> go hang out with Zyphodeus and Dooku and uh, go cause some trouble on your own time. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, use the force to throw a pit droid in Odie Mandrell's <laughs> <laughs> engine. No. Great uh, I did want to say one other thing about the force though. Yeah. I realize it is a thing that has, uh, that has stuck with me over the years and I will phrase it as a question to you. Mm. Do you ever wish that Anakin had used the force more explicitly in some way in the pod race? Oh, great question. Um, I'm trying to, and I'm trying to think of the moment, like when he loses that little cable, like if he had reached over to it instead of he uses that little device, um, that would have been cool, but I, 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 my, then my, 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 my problem is then, you know, unless it's like uh broom kid, Tamari Blegg reaching and not really knowing, or just kind of not paying, you know, not acknowledging it. Cause maybe he's done it so much and just knows he can. If Anakin did that, reached over saying, grab that cable and reconnected it and was like, what did I just do? Then it's almost too much for me versus yeah, he's just always used this. And now you're right. I, to your point earlier of, it's 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 awakening to him now. He's aware a little bit more that he's got some extra senses versus just like, hey, I'm really good at it. I don't know why I'm the only human and I'm a kid. Uh, and now Qui Gon's kind of opened up that part of his brain, even though again he's not acknowledging it. He's not there going, I got this because of the Force. I think that works for me versus him just going, woo, look what I did. Yeah, I like that. I, I do like that the ultimate victory is uh, kind of Sabalba being uh, hoisted on his own petard of of trying to. Um, rip Anakin's uh, pot apart with uh, that, you know, basically spike uh, and only ends up doing it to himself. So I do like that. But I think, I don't think I would ever need to see Anakin suddenly amazingly use the force, uh, like, you know, push Sabalba or whatever. There's a part of me that sometimes wishes, what if there was just a little bit more the way it was shot, that there was like right at the end of the race, you know, it wasn't just open terrain, but there was like some obstacle that he has to zip around to just really show what Qui-Gon says, show that mm. he has this uh, precognition of what is going to happen seconds ahead of time. And to just kind of almost visually show that, like maybe even just like a little bit of a uh, force theme mm -hmm. and show him zip, 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 zip in a way that's just sort of like insanely impressive racing. Now that, think, yeah, go, no, go ahead, yeah. go ahead. Sorry. No, I, I was just going to say, I think sometimes like I'm happy with what's there and I can infer that yeah. that's what's going on. But sometimes I'm like, Ooh, what, what would, would that be cool? It would be cool. And it would also connect to modern canon very well with the Thrawn uh, novels uh, that uh, Zahn put out, the newer ones where it, you, you're kind of going through Anakin, excuse me, Vader's mind of seeing things bef seconds before they happen. And a great yeah. explana explanation of laser bolt to the left, right? To, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm dumbing it down, but from, for me, but, um, so if it was, if it was on display in that way, that, that definitely would work for me. That it's just there. Yeah. That he knows it. It's in him. I like yeah. That. It's in him. There but, we go. Uh, but I, I watching it again, he, you do get the sense that he is following Qui-Gon's advice and he is in the moment. Yeah, it's in the moment, and, and there's some similarities to to Leia, particularly Leia, Princess Valderon, kind of leaping far and going, wow, what the hell is that? You know, there's yeah. some of that kind of stuff. Uh, great stuff about, see, the Padres, folks, it's not just, uh, you know, cool cameos from R.S. Singh and pit droids and sounds, deep force questions 
can be found with inside of it. Final thought about this here, Joseph. What is the legacy in story and without of the pod race in the Phantom Menace, the boot to Eve classic? Where do you, uh, where do you, where, where do you put this pod race and uh, in, in its place in Star Wars legacy? Yeah, I think outside of the story in our real world, it just really strikes me of it is such a great snapshot of the Phantom Menace itself in that there are some like um, kind of big slapstick uh, moments. There are some aliens with some wackier looks and wackier voices, but there are badass moments like Sebulba is, you know, uh, got a great creepy design or a sing in the Tusken Raiders and uh, the horrific death of Brad Styrell. Uh, it's got amazing uh, design, sound design, and, uh, you know, it's got this uh, sort of deep cultural impact that even right when the movie came out, people who were not sure about the movie or even didn't like the movie still liked and talked about and played that pod racing video game, and it just immediately went deep into culture. And I think it demonstrates a thing that Lucas is really important to Lucas, uh, that Star Wars can be so many things, and you can kind of just watch the the pod race sequence doesn't cut to anything else. And it's almost more like here's a mini sports documentary mm. in the middle of Star Wars. Mm. It matters to Anakin and Qui-Gon stories we've talked about, but it's just like, hey, what if we uh, just had a sports documentary in here? Mm. So I feel like it, it's a snapshot of Phantom Menace and it's just this great injection of different kind of aesthetic in Star Wars. Love what you're saying about it being the snapshot, and I would even say it's definitely the Phantom Menace, but perhaps even in the prequels, right? Um, Phantom Menace, Darth Maul, the lightsaber fight in the pod race, that's what people are either going to remember or say they like more than other things. But the pod race, as you just so wonderfully stated, has all the things of the prequels. Complaints, likes, sounds, sequences, characters, old and new, and has everything on display. And on first glance, you might not like it. On second glance, you might uh, start to like it. And then if you dig deeper, things start to fall away and the story remains and what Lucas is trying to tell you remains. And it's like the pod race to me, in a way, is kind of the heart of the prequel series as you look back over the years. It's all there for you if you want it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you saying the heart uh, also reminds me of things that uh, that listeners have said to us too. It's powerful if you see that as when you're a kid, and it's not just uh, an intellectual underdog story. You feel that. You feel that. Hey, uh, a kid like me could be the most important person in a situation sometimes, and I think that's the the heart of it. That Anakin is uh, supposed to be a nobody, but he's really a somebody. That is. A lot of important themes all wrapped up in a nice little race. And I think that video game definitely helps. I think definitely it, it takes it, it puts it in your hands, and you connect with it. And even if you're like, I don't like that movie, that race is pretty cool. Uh, it starts <laughs> to change your ideas on it there. So, uh, Joseph, thank you for taking uh, indulging me and going down a, a pod race path. Because I do think it is a wonderful part of the Star Wars movies and a, a, an important part of the Star Wars story as well. So thank you, my friend. Yeah, thank you for writing up these uh, these great questions. You, you've brought hope to those who have none. <laughs> I was uh, meant to help you. Meant to help you. Uh, all right, from there, we're going to go to our audience questions. Uh, Joseph, you got the helm today on these wonderful questions from our fans. 
That's right. We got some from Twitter and some from Patreon. So we'll start with Twitter. Uh, Derek Norris says, help my headcanon. Did Han and Luke ever talk about their experiences in between saying goodbye on Hoth and Jabba's palace? Maybe over some space whiskey. Ken, uh, what do you got? Did you think about this of, of Luke and Han catching each other up on their adventures? This was, uh, I think, half of my episode seven I wrote when I was uh, like nine. Uh, <laughs> just them catching up. Like, what'd you do? What'd you do? It definitely makes even more sense now with uh, as the story kind of plays out in comics between the movies and everything, there's a lot to uh, a lot to catch up on, and I, I they don't have time. They just don't have time. So I think I think there's a nice conversation under the moon uh, on uh, Bright Tree Village where they just where Han's like, so what what happened, man? How did I end up at Jabba's? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I I've always loved the uh, Chewie trying to catch Han up in the cage and, yeah. and Han going, <laughs> Luke, a Jedi Knight, uh, and having that great uh, thing where the audience knows so much more than than poor Hodden does at that point of like, you don't even know what Luke's been through, man. He's a Jedi. Um, I love that kind of what's been developed in some of the novels, some of the way that Han talks about the force of like, ah, Luke's doing some stuff. And even in last Jedi, when uh, Luke's like, well, Han was Han about it. I like the idea that they would remember, remain great friends and incredibly close, but they're, they're kind of in these different paths. And I, I feel like, I feel like probably Luke was like, yeah, well, I, I went to this place called Dagobah and I met an ancient Jedi master. And I think Han would get it, but kind of not, like it might weird him out a little bit of like, yeah. cool, cool. Okay. All right. Got it. Uh, you, you did some religion stuff and now you can lift rocks. Awesome. Good. Great for you. Yeah. You just want to hang out. Have you seen my new dice? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I think that's the way I imagine it of like Han being like, okay, I got it. Forces, forces real for sure. Seen it a bunch. You, you, you do you Luke and let's have, let's have some whiskey sometime. Yeah. I like that. Excellent. We will move on to uh, next question. It is from uh, a Twitter user called The Shadow. Of all the canon books, what would be the one you would recommend the most? This is yeah. We get we get this question a lot. Uh, Twitter uh, in real life uh, on Twitch streams. Uh, this comes a lot, and I, I think the answer changes over the years because more books come out. I think for my money right now, Joseph, I I, I would suggest Leia, Princess of Alderaan. Hmm. Yeah. I think it's hard to go wrong with that one. Um, I think I would ask, I always want to ask people like, well, what part of Star Wars do you already like in, right. in case I can kind of direct them or like what kind of experience do you want to have? I think if I couldn't ask anybody what they already like, I would say Lost Stars. Because mm-hmm. uh, uh, Leia, Leia, you just, Leia Princess of Alderaan, you you have to know the original trilogy basically and and you can get into it but there's a lot of stuff in there that is deeper canon i think lost stars is so powerful because the main characters you don't need anything they you're told everything in the book and then it touches these canon events so you're also these big canon events that you don't have to know star wars super intimately uh to get something out of yeah, and Lost Stars has been the answer for a while, I think, for a lot of people, and, and it's that's a good place to start. Good place to start. Uh, it, yeah. it sounds like basically we're saying Claudia Gray. <laughs> Check out her work. <laughs> yeah, pick a Claudia Gray book, yeah. any Claudia Gray book, but Leia, Leia might up, be up there uh, even above Lost Stars for me in terms of just personal favorite. Moving on to Patreon, we got a question from Jay Winkworth. Uh, Jay says... I just finished watching the Clone Wars episode, Old Friends Not Forgotten. 
Uh, and there's a point during the approach of Mandalore when Ahsoka takes her focus off the enemy Mandalorians and jumps on a gunship to cut off the canopy and free a clone trooper that no doubt would have crashed and died. It reminded me of a scene I've always struggled with from the beginning of uh, Revenge of the Sith. The clones are being shot down and Anakin says, I'm going to go help them out. And Kenobi says, no, no, they're doing their job so we can do ours. Anakin is clearly upset by this. Just curious, did this ever strike you as the Jedi maybe not valuing clones on the same level as non-clones, as disposable assets? Or is it just Obi-Wan being a great general seeing the big picture? Hope you and your loved ones are well. Thank you, Jay. Hope you and your loved ones are well as well. Uh, Ken, what is your thought uh, about Obi-Wan keeping Anakin in the fight in that moment rather than helping the clones? I think I think Jay's bringing up some great points here that that um, I'll start on. I, I think there's some truth to Obi-Wan being like, look, focus, man, focus. Like that's, that's what's got to happen. Like, not, not, not that he's saying, Hey, they got to die, but like they got a job to do. They're going to do their job. If we don't do ours, all those deaths out there are, are in vain. Like focus, get, get, get going. I think there's some, some stuff there that I, that I like about Obi-Wan doing that. But I also think this is kind of some of the, a basis for a lot of the the storytelling in Clone Wars. We, we've talked a lot about it, uh, where some of the Jedi had some issues, I think, and 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 the clones take to Anakin and Ahsoka a little bit more because they feel um, a, a connection with them. They feel respected. They, the loyalty we hear is big with the clones. All those things, and not every Jedi was uh, you know Pong Krell and and and. <laughs> handle it like that but even we've remarked at some of the coldness obi-wan has towards droids it seems you know uh, r4 dies and he's just got oh well that's bad um you know and that's some some to to say maybe just about the way obi-wan you know he has ability to focus so i don't think it's all necessarily bad but i think it drives i think that little moment might fuel some of the decisions they made in the clone wars as as creators yeah. Yeah, no, I think so. I think there is, uh, yes, there's a, a sense sometimes in the movies that they're a little bit more expendable. Obi-Wan clearly uh, seems to have an affinity and a fondness and an appreciation for for Cody. Yeah. Uh, there's some great back and forth in Revenge of the Sith there. Uh, but I think, yeah, for me, this is, uh, that scene is just absolutely setting up uh, the themes of attachment. Anakin is clearly wanting to help out of the kindness of his heart and he's a Jedi and those are his uh, comrades in arms and how could he not help them? Whereas I think Obi-Wan has this perspective of this is why Jedi train to be able to let go of, we, we want to be able to save everybody. We, we can't, you, you need to be able to let go because Ken, as you said, uh, it, it would be disrespecting those clones who might lose their lives if we don't complete this mission that they're sacrificing themselves for. Uh, and to me, I think the key part of this scene, uh, I, I know I just uh, am, am constantly wearing my defend Obi-Wan Kenobi hat, <laughs> but the key part of the scene to me to answer Jay's question about the Jedi uh, treating clones uh, the same as, as everybody else. Moments later, when Obi-Wan's ship is overrun by the buzz droids, he tries to tell Anakin to just leave him and go. Right. Obi-Wan is willing to sacrifice himself just as much as he is willing to sacrifice those clones because from Obi-Wan's perspective, this mission, completing this mission is the important thing and Anakin's the one who has the best chance to do that. Uh, and so I think it plays with all these themes of, of attachment, you know, how it can be a good thing and how it can be a, a dangerous thing from a certain point of view. But for me, it's much more about uh, Obi-Wan 
being a, a big picture uh, Jedi rather than any sort of uh, coldness uh, to the clones. Well, I think you've defended Obi-Wan quite well, sir. Again, <laughs> Thank you. That is my job in life, to defend Obi-Wan, and I'm very happy to have it. Final question today comes from Alden Diaz. Alden says, what characters that are around during the sequel trilogy era would you like to see interact in a post-Rise of Skywalker world? I think there's lots of potential, especially if we explore and pick from the different forms of media. Finn and Tamra Vora uh, came to mind, given their First mm. Order connections. I'm sure they'd have a lot to discuss, or maybe even Zay Versio and Lando would love to have him telling war stories of her parents. Thanks as always. Hope you're doing well with this chaotic quarantine environment. Stay safe. Alden, you stay safe as well. Ken, uh, who do you want to see interact across all the media? I, maybe it's because he said Zay Versio. Uh, I love the idea of Shriv uh, kind of ca- connecting back up after that battle and you know, uh, having some some funny glib remark. Uh, you know, eh, no one over, no one really said thanks to me. Where's my medal, Chewbacca? Uh, just putting <laughs> that in there. Uh, I like that idea. Um, yeah, this is. Uh, I'd love to see actually see Wedge on the ground, uh, not getting the news that his you know um, steps on uh, passed away, died, but. Um, seeing him catch up in his own way, you know, why he finally decided to come back. Uh, I know there's not a lot, but like, uh, you know, 3PO, Chewy, there's enough around. I'd like to see him kind of getting a little bit more in there. Um, trying to think of other um, media, uh, you know, Singer, some of those kind of characters. would love to see Ooh. him kind of popping back up. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Uh, I'd be happy to see Shriven anybody. Uh, I don't know why it popped to mind. I feel like Shriven Rose would be fun together. So I'd be yeah. happy to have a, a Shriven Rose adventure. Um, I really am taken with the the Lando helping uh, helping people find, helping people mm. victimized by the First Order find who they are, where they're from. So I would love to see that uh, story told. And you, so you have Lando and Janna, maybe uh, running around with Kaz and Yeager uh, from Resistance. Mm. That might be fun. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Seeing uh, even though we do see see them interact in in resistance, but uh, Kaz, Yeager, and, and Poe. Yeah. yeah, that'd be fun. Yeah, and then my my last one is a pull from the end of resistance. Uh, did you finish it yet, Ken? I know you're uh, catching. I, up. I'm very close, but go ahead, go ahead. Okay, so you may or may not have encountered this character yet. Uh, there's a character named Mika Gray. I think. Did so. you encounter her yet? I think so. Yeah. Yeah, I did. Yeah. 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 So, um, so Mika Gray is uh, basically a kind of a, another archaeologist uh, yeah. for artifacts, uh, for force-related artifacts. So, I would love to see Ray and Mika Gray go on an adventure together. Ooh, that'd be good. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I like that character. I like that character a lot. That'd be good too. Yeah. Yeah, she was she was awesome. So that is our questions. Uh, thank you to Derek, the Shadow, Jay, and Alden. All great, fun questions. And if you have a question for us, you want to join the conversation, you have some lessons you learned from the passing of Rats Tyrell. Reach out to us on Twitter. <laughs> follow us at Force Center Pod. Use the hashtag Force Center. Like our Facebook page. Follow us on Instagram. Subscribe on YouTube. In Memoriam, Season 2 launched. Maul, a tribute to Maul is up. More coming on the way, working with uh, the great Kev Smets on those. And uh, don't forget to find our podcast at uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, wherever you can find podcasts. If it's not there, let us know, and we'll try to get it on. Merch available at tpublic.com slash user slash force center. And Joseph over on Patreon is where we're building towards uh, new goals all the time. 
Yeah, that's right. So you can get uh, access to our Discord channel over there and access to our monthly bonus show, Will of the Force. And like I said, we're still a couple of those goals, uh, like putting on a live show, have suddenly gotten complicated. So we might juggle some things around. But if you're interested in helping us out, you can check that out at patreon.com slash force center. Absolutely, please. And we got our own things, even in these times, working on other stuff. You can go to um, my website, kenapsack.com, for information on a lot of my things like writings, uh, other podcasts, including my baseball podcast, Box Score Heroes, which you can find now, but it's about to launch in a couple weeks' time. Uh, you can go follow me over there. And Joseph, uh, tell them where they can find you. Yeah, you can uh, find all of my various uh, comedy albums and my other podcast obsessed on my website at josephscrimshaw.com. Of course, Twitter and Instagram at josephscrimshaw. And I realize I should plug a little bit uh, more often. I'm one of the writers for an adult swim show uh, called Tigtone. That is on their uh, their website and their app. So you can just go to adultswim.com and look for Tigtone. Uh, and it is a bizarre, bizarre fantasy comedy show. And uh, Adult Swim uh, finally announced a couple weeks ago that season two will be premiering in the fall and i I worked on season two as well so get caught up on tigtone get caught up indeed uh thank you all for listening uh diving into the clone wars diving into the padres more comments new star wars ranked this week uh special episodes uh joseph you're gonna do uh part two right of the the uh point of view show right the lightsaber yeah 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 Yeah, i'm gonna i'm gonna look for some even more thoughts on lightsabers more to come on that and stay tuned. Thank you all for supporting us here on Force Center. Oh, we'll see you next time. For now, take a moment to think about poor Rats Tyrell and get to race and see y'all. This was Force Center. the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTER Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. 
Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 